0: How do I separate what I do from who I am? We're going to talk about that next on the Monday Christian Podcast.
1: You're listening to the Monday Christian Podcast, the program dedicated to helping you put into action the truth of God's word that you hear on Sunday to your everyday life on Monday. And now, here's your host... Ezra Beyer.
0: Well, hey there. Welcome aboard to the Monday Christian Podcast. So great to have you on again today on this Memorial Day. Just a huge thank you, by the way, to all of our veterans, especially in the States. I know in Canada you celebrated Victoria Day a week ago, so a little bit of different celebration here. But for those in the States, man, a huge thank you to all of our veterans who have served uh, and just really paid the ultimate price um, just in so many different ways for the freedoms that we experience today. With that said, on our podcast today uh, is my new friend, Daniel N. And Daniel is the senior associate pastor at in Edmonton, Alberta, Beulah Alliance Church. It's a church that's been around for around 100 years, runs about three to 4,000. Him and his wife, Christina, recently moved from Nashville, Tennessee, uh, to Edmonton, uh, getting close to about a year ago, and uh, through that process, um, they have a passion, their church has a passion to reach 1% of Edmonton for Christ. It's a huge, ambitious dream, but one of the things that I love about what Daniel does, and especially during this whole COVID-19 season, is he has a huge online presence, and And uh, he's passionate about connecting with podcasts. He runs a podcast with Ed Stetzer uh, from Lifeway. And he also runs a marriage podcast with his wife, Christina, called The In Between Podcast. And I really like that one personally. That's uh, that's one that connects with me. And I've listened to it a number of times and really, really enjoyed it. Daniel's written several books in the past. But his latest book that's come out is You Are What You Do and Six Other Lies About Work, Life, and Love. It's a really, really fascinating read. One of my favorite books that I've read of 2020. And as, as I was reading it, I said, man, I really want to have him on to discuss this. Send him an email, and he graciously agreed to come on board. You're going to hear that conversation next. And so let's go ahead and get right into it. Well, going back in time here, um, a number in my audience are probably familiar with you, and I was talking to my pastor, and he's like, yeah, Daniel, I I love reading his stuff. Some are not. Um, So talk a little bit about your backstory. How did you first come to faith in Christ?
1: Yeah, so born and raised in Vancouver, Canada, and uh, my parents both— followers of Christ. Uh, My mom grew up in a Buddhist family, three older brothers, three younger brothers. And um, yeah, that's, that's just a fascinating story. So she actually went to Bible college, not because she wanted to be a pastor, but more because it was just She discovered Christ. She met Christ and she's like, hey, if this is real, I better learn more about who Jesus is. Uh, My dad's mom was this evangelist in Korea and kind of and and that's not something I really knew until later in life. So so growing up in this house of both my mom and dad being sincere with their faith, following Christ, me and my three older sisters, we were just going to church was one of those things that we did. But it wasn't—I um, I discovered Christ first probably in a, when I was the fifth grade. And when I was in the fifth grade, I tagged along with my older sisters to a youth retreat. Now, I thought I was— you know, I was like, man, this is so cool. I get to be with older kids. I'm in elementary school, but I get to go to the youth group retreat. And I was so excited, but I think my parents in hindsight was probably like, Hey, let's get rid of all the kids. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So there's, there's probably that now that I'm a parent. So I, I, I fully understand that side of things. But, um, having said all that, I mean, that it was at that retreat where I, right, where I first discovered the grace of Christ. Now, I'd heard a lot about Jesus and sang the songs and went to VBS and did all that. But it wasn't until that retreat where I discovered, okay, man, this is my sin. And this is the weight of my sin. And this is the grace of Jesus Christ. And, and I just sensed and experienced his grace. So that was um really, the first moment where faith became real for me I, obviously lots of ups and downs and then throughout high school, which I could probably get into later, but that's that's when I first discovered who christ was
0: that's kind of that's cool with the mixed background like did that give you kind of a unique perspective when you came to faith in Christ, kind of having uh, I think it was your mommy said uh, came from a Buddhist background did that what how did that shape you personally um just and giving you like a broader perspective of not only the world but like um, and maybe your appreciation for Christianity. How did how did that shape you?
1: yeah yeah i mean i so growing up in vancouver we went to a korean church and and it was very much everything was in korean and there's an english ministry and a and a korean ministry and and that was really that sense where it was not just church but it was culture so i had korean school and there's just so much about that where it wasn't it wasn't just for me honestly it wasn't just about going to church to know who jesus was but it was Going to church to know what it meant to be Korean. So there's that side where it, it, it really kind of all got mixed up together, and it became this cultural, this sense of cultural Christianity. And and okay, I know I know those hymns. So I don't really actually know a lot of hymns in English. I know a lot of them in Korean but I don't know what they mean. (laughs) I just kind of, I know how to sing them because it was just, you know, the thing that you did and you learned how to, it, it was all part of Korean school growing up, but it was just an interesting dynamic. Now, the interesting thing is uh, my mom growing, growing up in a Buddhist family, Korea is a part of the East Asian uh, segment. So Korea, China and Japan uh, are, are considered East Asia, which basically means that they are highly there's a highly Confucianistic orientation to the culture and to um, the, the sense of respect and elders and, and a lot of that. So actually, in Korean Christianity, a lot of that is kind of mixed in. Uh, I wouldn't say it's very syncretistic. But a lot of it is kind of mixed in because there's the culture, right? Just kind of yeah. like in yeah. Western Christianity, consumerism is very mixed in, which I think right. COVID's right. revealing the depth of that. Um, in in with Korean Christianity, there's a lot of that Confucianistic respect uh, aspect mixed in. So that that was definitely an interesting side of it as I as I continue to grow and 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 disc- you read the scriptures and discover what it meant to be a follower of Jesus.
0: You know, the topic for our conversation is how how do I separate what I do from who I am? And that that just kind of leads naturally into a question, I think, just kind of about your upbringing. Um, Growing up in more of a Korean household, so what did that look like? Because my wife, when she taught in in Toronto, teaching many kids from mixed backgrounds, um, the emphasis on performance was often very high. Was that the same in your case as well?
1: Oh yeah. I mean, I was my parents' retirement plan. My sisters and I, we were <laughs> we were their retirement plan because they came to Canada with nothing and they started yeah. all yeah. over in the seventies as immigrants trying to just survive, right? Uh, trying to hustle, trying to grind, trying to figure it out so that they could survive and put food on the table for my three older sisters and I. So um, growing up, it was, it was interesting even in that sense where I didn't, I don't I don't ever think my parents wanted me to be a doctor. Now, it's interesting because I think most Asian parents want their kids to be doctors uh, <laughs> or engineers or lawyers. There's only a few uh, there's only really a, f- a few vocations uh, available to Asians. But that was I, I didn't think that came from my parents because I remember in grade five, I was doing career and personal planning, and my friend and I both, uh, we had a sheet of paper. One was occupation. The other side was salary, and my friend and I both put our finger down the salary column. Well, he, his name's Tom Uh, We've lost touch, but maybe he's listening to this webinar and we can <laughs> reconnect. But, but basically, uh, he chose cardiologist, and I was like, there's no way I'm making less than my best friend. So I chose neurosurgeon because it came up to be the same amount. And honestly, Ezra, I don't know at what point it changed, but I eventually ended up believing that I wanted to be a doctor because I wanted to help people. And I completely, I absolutely completely forgot about that moment in the fifth grade until I was first year university. In grade 12, I was discerning a call to ministry. I, I mean, I, I got accepted into university sciences, pre-med, I was going along that track, but in the summer before university, I sensed uh, for the first time ever, perhaps that God was calling me into pastoral ministry. And, and no one was urging me or recommending me or pushing me toward that or nudging me toward that. It was just this random thought that came to me during a worship service. And it was just so, so random. I was like, what and where, I have no idea. But I, I remember praying in the pews in that moment. I was like, Lord, if this is you, um, I surrender, but mm. I don't know if it's you. So I just kind of kept on going into sciences and, and went along that way. First year university, after uh, between first and second year, year, I went on a mission trip where I met Christina, my wife. Uh, but on that mission trip, my very prayer request was... Lord, would you help me understand and know if that if if that was you, and if I am called to pastoral ministry, or if it's supposed to, if I'm supposed to be a doctor? Well, I was praying all throughout that mission trip, and my discipler ended up asking me a question. He's like, "Hey, Daniel, why do you want to be a doctor anyway?" I mean, it's it's right. It's a, it's a very simple question, yeah. but I honestly hadn't asked myself that at all. So so I was like, oh, I, I actually don't know. I've, I've just always wanted to be a doctor. And he's like, no, really think about it. And immediately fifth grade, that memory came to mind, that mm. career and personal plan, which I had completely forgotten. And the moment that memory came to mind, it was as if the Holy Spirit mm. prompted Matthew seven in my heart. And it was, you know, Matthew 7, are you going to build your house on the sand or on the rock? And it was just so crystal clear that, uh, I mean, God's direction in that moment. So that's, that. I mean, there's, I could keep on going if you want, because that was a, there's a huge conversation around how I was able to talk to my mom and dad about that, because they did not want that.
0: Yeah, dude. Yeah. They did yeah, not. Go want into
1: that, because I'm actually,
0: I'm really curious about that.
1: What was yeah, that like? So, yeah. So I, I came back and I was convinced, convinced that God was calling me. It was to the point of, man, if I continue down the route to go to med school, I would be disobeying. Like it was right. it was not even just a maybe that was God or not. I was, It was just so crystal clear that that was God. But my parents didn't take any. I mean, they were like, OK, OK, sure, sure, sure. OK, if you really want to be a pastor, that's fine, but you can do that after you be a doctor, right? So just be a doctor first, and then you can be a pastor. So yeah, and and it would just be like that. So I started doing some religious studies courses in addition to my science major, and and I didn't. I was just continually praying about it and trying to figure out, okay, how am I going to do this? What is this going to look like? Do I finish my science degree and then go to seminary, or what does that all look like? Well, I remember this one moment. Where my mom would always just, she would just keep on saying, it's okay, yeah, of course you could be a, do- a pastor. But after you be a doctor, she kept on saying that. So she acknowledged my call, uh, but she kept on saying, it's after you be a doctor. And I was like, the amount of money, med school, and the time, and all that stuff. <laughs> I was like, oh, there's no way I was I was like flunking organic chemistry. I just had no interest in science anymore because I knew my calling. Unfortunately,
0: well, pastors I remember. make tremendous salaries, so so that <laughs> Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs>
1: so I remember uh, sitting my mom down, and this is tough because growing, growing up in a Korean household, I mean, there's so much respect, so much respect that you need to give your elders, especially your parents. And and I just remember I was like, mom, can I can I just tell you everything that I've been wrestling with God on about this? Can and, and can I just share it all with you without you saying a thing like you can talk after but just please let me explain all that's going on in my heart and where god is leading me and then and then and then it'd be okay for you to talk like i just want to be able to in one shot share it all so we sat down it was just me and her i still remember it to this day it was in our honor like we were sitting around our kitchen table and i just shared everything with her now, she wanted to interrupt me a few times, uh, but I was like, Mom, can I, can I just please, please? So we got all the way through, and then she was like, okay. And my Korean name is Sangi, uh, which is why on social media it's like Daniel Sangi. Um, but so she was like Sangi, and she spoke in Korean. So I'm not going to speak in Korean here, but she, she basically said, said my name. I was like, here, let me tell you something. When you were in my womb, God told me that you were going to be a pastor, I just assumed it was going to be after you became a doctor. <laughs> no, but you, so what's absolutely incredible about that is that assumption, but also she had never, ever told me that. Never, ever did she tell me that, she, that, that God had told her that I was going to be a pastor. And my grandmother uh, had always prayed for all of her grandchildren, that one of us would be, that, that all the grandchildren would be, that um, well, one person would be a pastor. Oh, and she cool. always, she never thought it was going to be me. She always, because I was kind of a troublemaker and yeah, there lots of different things. She always thought it was going to be one of my cousins. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was just fascinating. And I'm so grateful to this day that my mom didn't tell me that until then. Because I think that would have caused Confusion, or it, it maybe would have led to uh, not as much of of a of, of, of level of certainty in my call toward ministry if it was like, oh no, God told my mom, so I guess yeah, you know, yeah, my exactly. mom knows, yeah, yeah. So,
0: man, that is that is fascinating. Like, I, I didn't obviously I didn't know that part of it. That that's that's yeah. such a cool story. You know, I, I was thinking as you were sharing, just the differences, and we see this in in Canada and the U.S. I would say a lot but in different ways um, mm. where parents will put on their kids, right, expectations that you're going to do this or, or that. And, and then maybe you can do some ministry on the side. Then you can. But I want you to do—you've um, gotten the opportunity to work with, like, a lot of different people. I think it's in—I don't know all the places—Montreal, Nashville, Vancouver. <laughs> mm. Now you're in Edmonton. Um, how do you see this playing out? Like, what are some of the— um, Maybe burdens that parents put on their kids and that maybe if, if they're watching, you could say, hey, maybe ease up a little bit on here and, and it would help the kids out a little bit. What what would be your thoughts? Yeah.
1: Yeah. So in, in my book, uh, in my newest book, it, it articulates these seven lies, right? Mm. And one of the lies is you are who you raise. Mm. And it's a fascinating thing that I'm – I mean I, I wrote the book now, what, a year – and I finished writing it a year and a half almost a year and a half ago because, you know, you got to submit the manuscript early and and there's all that side of it. But as I continue to loop around it and as I continue to think through the seven lies, especially in light of COVID-19, I was like, okay, what relevance does the book have right now? And I'm beginning to see the book in different lights. The interesting thing with that lie, you are who you raise. There is so much identity that parents place in their children Right. And what's fascinating is right now, when now, now that parents have to homeschool, and they have to they're working from home, they're homeschooling, they're trying to figure all this out and they're like maybe they thought they were a great parent when their kid was going to soccer and going to this and going to that and and now that they are with their child and having to be the the the, the one who is teaching them and, and and entertaining them and doing all this stuff i wonder how many parents perception of their identity is beginning to maybe crumble yeah, because <laughs> they yeah. realize it's actually they're, they're they're not all that they thought they were or, or their kids weren't all that they had thought they were. And it's interesting because this lie that you are who you raise, it's like your children's success. You see that as your success and you see their failure as your failure. So there's so much identity that you place in them. Now, I would say it would be so much more so for immigrants Because literally, my sisters and I were my parents' retirement plan. Like, we were their everything. Because it's expensive to feed kids. And I remember my mom, like, she was like, why are you eating so much? (laughs) I was like, (laughs) I I, I play lots of sports. I like eating, you know, all that stuff. I mean, right now, I eat three burgers. Like, I grilled some burgers before. we. I I was just so hungry. And, you know, when you think about that, it's just there's, I, I wonder what God is doing and how he's changing our perception at the moment. Yeah.
0: That's such a great point, because you go from whatever parents might spend with their kids, four, five hours, to they go to bed, and then you yeah. you double that, you triple that time. <laughs> that yeah, can't 24-7, help but reveal right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, ex- exactly. Um, I really want to get to this part, because uh, you write in your book, so you, you go through—well, obviously you outlined your—of of coming to faith in Christ, and then also your call to ministry— Uh, But I want to get into your time of going to Korea, Mm -hmm. and back us up, because this was one of the really fascinating points in the book, and this really connected with me. Tell that story of how um, you ended up going over to Korea, I don't know how much you want to share of your time over there, and then coming Mm -hmm. back, and especially kind of the transformation that maybe God did in your life while you were over there, um, Mm -hmm. and just with this whole theme of like finding our identity in Christ as opposed to what we do.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, this is, it's been 10 years since we came back from Korea. Uh, It was actually on April 1st, 2010, when we came back. And I mean, even just me writing about the story and writing about what happened. And I kind of bookended in the book where I I share a little bit about the beginning. And then at the end, the last on You Are What You Do, the the chapter, and then on the last chapter, where it's Mm -hmm. You Are Your Past, I talk about, Honestly, some of, the, some of the ways that God is still shifting and helping me understand why we had gone in the first place and, and how he redeemed that, right? Because our past, he can bring about beauty from those ashes. But for a long time after we had come back, I felt like it was all ashes, so what's interesting is, um, to back it up a little bit, I was in Montreal at the time, just got married first. I mean, we were in a church pond initially, but, but then we moved to Montreal, and it was kind of first time being paid, vocational, ministry. I was doing seminary at the same time, and uh, I mean, we just loved, you know, Montreal. I mean, Montreal is just an incredible city, but it's also a hard city. Uh, it's it's a very it's a it's a dark city spiritually, but it's it's a grind because of the tension between the English and the French. And there's just this constant it, it's it's. If you visit Montreal it's incredible because you have the Jazz Fest and the cobblestone and Old Montreal and it's just a ro- very romantic European city. You live there, it grinds on you. It so grinds on you because of of some of the spiritual dynamics but also the English French dynamics that are going on. So yeah, man yeah. Yeah. So so ministry was great. I mean, loved it. Still love the church, our, uh, the church family that we were a part of there. Still friends. Actually was texting with the lead pastor there uh, just today. Uh, he sent me a message this morning. So still love them all. But when we were there, um, uh, my youth pastor growing up in Vancouver uh, contacted me and he was like, hey, uh, would you ever, like, he invited me to come and speak at a retreat in Korea, and when he called, I mean, the church in Montreal was a few hundred people, and it was growing, and uh, we were it was a church plant, and we were launching a campus, and it was a lot of fun, a lot of fun, and I was doing youth ministry and, and also doing leadership development, and just, yeah, it was a really fun environment, but when my youth pastor growing up called I mean the guy was my mentor I looked up to him so much like he gave me his jean jacket before he left uh (laughs) when when he left vanguard and I was like man it's like this is the cool like I looked up to him so much (laughs) uh the guy was like my you know I wouldn't say idol but you know (laughs) close to that sense where I just so respected him and he taught me guitar and there's all this sense, um, and then he called and, and asked if come out and speak at their youth retreat, and that they they don't have a youth pastor, and there's all this where um, I, I was kind of I was I was flattered that someone would do that. Uh, I was still early on in ministry, and that someone would ask me to keynote a retreat, uh, and then in Korea, and then it's it's in this church of fifty thousand people, and right, and it's just so many of these things where it was like wow. This is incredible, and then he invites me to join their team, Christina and I, and and really, literally, when he when he offered me that position, I didn't even pray. I was like, well, I I mean, I think I said let me pray about it, but I didn't even. I was like, why would I even pray about this? Obviously, this is God, right? right? Bigger is better. Isn't this God blessing my ministry? Isn't this God saying, mm-hmm. hey, I have. Chosen you to now 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 that you're faithful here faithful and a little I'm gonna give you more and there's all this mixed upness that we get especially being in the West right where it's like we assume that if you're a follower of Christ and if you're following God's ways blessing should be the result and and we and we don't ever think that pain and struggle can be God's will maybe until after the fact. Uh, but we always think, okay, if, if God is for me, who can be against me? And obviously, this is God. Obviously, obviously. So I tried to convince Christina and others. And I was like, yeah, of course. I was convincing myself, right? I didn't want to really sit down and fast and pray and do all that because I was afraid. Um, Not at the – I didn't realize this at the moment. I'm, I'm talking about this in hindsight. Right. I think I was afraid that God would say – that it wouldn't actually be God. I I didn't really know how to process it because I literally assumed that because the opportunity is bigger, obviously it's God. Now, if you haven't read Eugene Peterson's memoir...
0: Oh, uh, it's awesome.
1: Yeah. I love it. Literally incredible. And he says this, this, there's this piece in there where he writes a letter to another pastor friend where there are a group of pastors in their city and he writes a letter to them, to this guy, and he confronts him and he's like, hey, I know you just got offered this position at a larger church, but it might not actually be from God. Don't assume that just because it's bigger, it's God. Hmm. And that that was like, I I think I read that three or four years ago and that just cut me so deep because I was like, oh, I believed that lie. I believed that bigger meant a better blessing or more what more more prestige more this more that and obviously god wouldn't put a sinner in that bizarre god wouldn't put someone he didn't uh think could do it in that and i was all mixed up right it was all mixed up that it was really more about me than it was about god and what he was doing anyways we go man we had the time of our life in korea god was just so moving powerfully uh i see you have a, a flag of china uh, behind you, I mean, my, my wife's wife an ESL met... teacher. Okay, yeah, and we, Christina and I met in, on a mission trip in China, and and for anyone who's ever done missions uh, overseas, I mean, you just see God move in incredible ways. And that is what, like, literally, I felt like I was an axe the type of ministry that we were able to be a part of in Korea. And and the and the team was so tight-knit and, and just loved every aspect about that experience. Uh, well, long story short, um, Christina gets pregnant and, and my mentor, I mean, his wife is pregnant as well. And um, both of their children actually pass. One passes away in the womb. The other one is a preemie and passes away. And and man, the enemy just so used that to cause a massive division between him and I. So many lies. And and there's so much hurt and misinterpretation and, and struggle between the two of us where I was like, how, how, how do you think that I... Like I did not mean that, and and there's so much there's so much where I just see in hindsight it's the enemy's hands all over it. And God was so blessing the ministry, like people coming to know Christ, people being set free in Christ. Uh, the 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 ministry was growing. I know I talked all that stuff about growing, but really there's so much fruitfulness happening in that ministry in Korea, and then all of that happened, uh, and then basically he said I don't want to work with you anymore. Right, I don't want to you just go back to Canada. And that that I mean and, and he also said, I don't even think you're called to ministry anymore. Wow. And this coming from remember at the beginning of the story, this coming from the guy who literally I looked up to. Like he was yeah. my mentor. Like yeah. I placed and and there and everything was beginning to shatter for me because I was like, wait a second, did I mishear God in coming? Um, am I not actually called to ministry? Am I? And so much of I, I, so much self-doubt came into my heart, came into my mind, and I was just in the pits. Now, God's. I, sorry, this is a long story. No, it's um, it's great. I, okay, keep going, keep okay, going. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, um, long story short, my eldest daughter, uh, her middle name is Providence. So, Victoria Providence M and the reason we named her providence was because um god it, it was it was to signify the fact that god is so sovereign as so providential regardless of what we may see with our eyes or might be experiencing that ultimately we need to place our trust in the sovereignty and the providence of god because we don't know the whole story uh, we only see in part but we don't know the whole story so that's so so that's that was the significance of her name, and it was that con- that constant reminder for us. Well, believe it or not, Ezra, God in His providence and God in His mercy, before all of this went down, I had several dreams. I, I had two specific dreams where God was reminding or 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 n- giving us a sense that change was going to happen, and giving us a sense that we were actually going to be leaving Korea. Now when I woke up from those dreams, I didn't know that it was God, right? I, I like I don't have this thing where it's like, oh yeah, God, give me a dream and I get the dream and it's like I, it wasn't that. But when I woke up, it it was the dream was so it was so vivid and it was so different that I was like, I don't know if this is my imagination or the tacos or whatever it was, but I'm going to write this down cuz I I am not quite sure. And I wrote that down. And for anyone who has dreams, and I mean, in the scriptures, right? It says, your young men will dream dreams, your old men will yeah. see visions. I mean, God is still in the business of speaking to us and speaking through dreams. I 100% believe that. So have a notepad, write stuff down. But anyways, and journal. Anyways, um, But having said all that, there, these two dreams I had, and they came to pass. They came to pass. And after they came to pass— and this was the final week i was about to pay tuition because i was still doing seminary and i just i was trying to pay and i was trying to click i was i was going to click to pay and it was a week early before it was due and i couldn't and i don't know if you ever get those moments where it's just like like i just there's this i i don't even know how to say it in words but I'm, i'm like i i why can't why isn't it why can't i just click Like it wasn't even, it's not even like I feel someone holding my hand back, but it's just this, don't do it, don't do it. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know if this is once again, is the tacos or what literally, but I just, I'm like, okay, well, tuition's not due until next week. So whether this is God or not, I have no idea, but why not wait? Hmm. And, and I just, I just kind of went like that. Well, the day before tuition was due, um, that's when uh, the, the lead guy of the English ministries, my mentor, uh, he inv- brought me into his office and was like, "Hey, you're done. You're going." And just he, he, he you know, he said all that he said about uh, you know denying our call to ministry and asking us to reconsider all this stuff, all this stuff. And, and after he said all that, um, honestly it, it, I was heartbroken and, but God in his providence that night, um, one of our pastors growing up, he actually, uh, another, a pastor that like Christina and I knew he, him and his wife actually called us on Skype and they're in Ottawa. Uh, well, they were actually in Calgary and we hadn't talked for years, but they called us and they were like, you know, we've been praying and you were just on our hearts. Mm-hmm. And this is the day it happened. And they're like, I, we don't know why, but we've just been praying for you. And just, we're just wondering, how's it going? Right, so you, so you see these like fingerprints of God all over the entire story, and I mean, I'm just scratching the surface. There are so many incidents, incidents of this and of God's providence and of His sovereignty. And honestly, Ezra, God still speaks like that today, and there, He He places His fingerprints in so many different ways. And I think for some who are listening in. Uh, Maybe your experience is like, I I have no idea what you're talking about. Like, that's just what, like, what are you making that all up, Daniel? And I was like, no, we just need to have our eyes open and we need to be sensitive to what God is doing because his fingerprints are everywhere. It's everywhere. And it's just incredible to see how he still talks and how he still moves. So long story short, we end up moving back to Canada and it's like six months of nothing nothing you write about that
0: you write about that and that's one of the parts in the book that stood out to me because i'm just going to ask you a blunt question um Mm -hmm. did you feel like a loser when you came back
1: (laughs) (laughs) my life was over yeah i was like literally i felt like my life was i mean obviously my life wasn't over but i felt like that because i mean the title of the book is you are what you do and that's partially because exactly in the west i think that's a core lie Right. As kids, you're asked what you want to be when you grow up, and we answer it by what we want to do. As adults, how how long into That's a funny. conversation? Yeah. How long into a conversation until you you ask them what they do and you judge them based on what they do. And if you don't ask, you're likely trying to guess what they do. And at the end of our lives, we're asked we're measured by what we've done. Yeah. Right. So it's such yeah, a yeah, core. Yeah lie for us and and for me i don't know if you're into the enneagram but i'm at enneagram three and i mean hey, it's just like I, actually
0: yeah. i just can't you know you you did that uh, you and your wife did that podcast on the enneagram i've gotten and yeah. i have not gone into that at all i came yeah, home because yeah. i was listening to it and i told my wife i was like we need to, we need to we need to do the enneagram together so it's on our yeah. list I'm i'm going to but <laughs> cool. I, i'm a few steps behind
1: <laughs> yeah and you know it's it's not the be-all end all and people have differing opinions on it, but I just think it's a, it's, it's one of the many tools out there, right um, but but for me that you know I really do believe that you are what you do is a core lie not only for those in the West but particularly for individuals who are Enneagram 3s like myself and where where you you base your identity on achievement and i think especially not only just guys um but a lot of guys who are husbands and also fathers there's that pressure there's that pressure and for me yeah. i lost my job we have a you know a, a, a what i don't even know how old victoria i mean she was 6 months old yeah she was 6 months old at the time and we're back in vancouver and i'm we're all in one room in my parents house yeah and i'm like what in the world Is going on and I'm like I gotta get out of here so I start applying everywhere right I mean I have restaurant experience retail experience all like Subway Costco store I mean I applied everywhere no one called me back I applied to to churches that were so small and I was like man you're gonna be so blessed to have me <laughs> I know that sounds horrible, uh, but underneath yeah, the surface, yeah, I was exactly. just like, "I'm gonna apply. I just need a job. It doesn't matter where. I just need a job, because I can't just sit around and do nothing." That's that was what was running through my mind. But God, in His providence, right, in His sovereignty, literally shut everything down, and I got no calls back for half a year. Likely, it was it was about half a year. Nothing. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. And then. And then one of my friends in Calgary, he's like, hey, Daniel, do you want to speak at our young adults retreat? I was like, yes. Yeah. I was like, what? Uh, Yeah. (laughs) I didn't even care. I didn't even ask how much the honorarium was. I I literally didn't care. I was like, yes, I'm going to do it. And he was like, just speak on whatever. And that's honestly the hardest thing to do when there's no direction. Because uh, that really led me to get on my knees and say, okay, God, what do I need to preach on? What do I need to speak? What do these young adults need to know? Uh, what do you want to do during this retreat? And I just sensed that I had to preach on the life of David. So talking about Eugene Peterson again, I was in Vancouver. I, I bought uh, one of his courses, one of the regent, like I audited one of his courses at regent that he did on David. Oh, that's
0: cool. That's cool. Yeah.
1: And I, I just, I just took it all in and God so met me during that course. And I was convicted to my knees that, um, that God brought us into a desert moment. And here's the fascinating thing. David and Saul, both King David and King Saul, both I mean, they're both kings, right? The, the, but the big difference between Saul and David is that Saul never had a desert moment. Uh, he was oh, literally kind of just chosen and, uh, you know, he, he was kind of hiding behind. Um, well, I forget what he was hiding behind, but he was kind of hiding. And then he was chosen to be king. You know, he's the tallest. He's the biggest. There's all that side of it. Yet David had, you know, after being anointed king, he was in the desert. He was chased in the desert. Um, and while he was in the desert, God shaped his prayer life. God shaped his character. And it's fascinating, isn't it? Because both David and Saul sinned. I mean, they both majorly sinned, yet David is a man after God's heart. And we see we see such a stark difference in the two of them. And part of it, really, as Eugene Peterson was articulating, was that it has to do with that desert moment. Mm. Even David, at the end of his life, Absalom, his son, chased him. Outright, I mean and there is another one of those desert moments so when when I, when I was going through that course I just so got on my knees and, and recognized that God was doing that kind of work in me and he was stripping away my identity the identity that I was placing in my work or the identity that I was placing in how big of a church I was pastoring in or or the identity that I was placing in my accomplishments and in my achievements and he was just stripping it all away and saying am I enough? Even if you never pasture again, am I enough? Even if you can't work a job at Subway, hey man, I in Montreal, I like I I worked at Subway. I'm a sandwich artist, like literally, we served 220 <laughs> sandwiches in one hour. We got a pin from the national headquarters because it was like, how do you serve 220 sandwiches in one hour, right? I mean, like <laughs> literally. I was like, why is my wife will, calling me back? Yeah, my wife
0: will want to know, is the chicken real? She will want to know that, yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right, I baked all the bread. I did all the cookies. Anyways, yeah. no one, nothing. And God in his providence and sovereignty was just, oh, am I enough? Right? Am I enough? And I wonder even during this time of COVID, uh, you know, those listening in, we see the unemployment, right, in the U.S. and Canada and around the world. And I wonder, and this is what I'm going to be preaching on in two weeks at my church. I wonder if, I wonder if this is actually God trying to get our attention. And even in the midst of a, a, a lack of a job that you might have, um, that individuals might have, I wonder if he's saying, Hey, am I enough? Am I enough? Yeah.
0: Interesting. You know, I wrote a uh, blog about this several weeks ago, I think, um, you know, doing, uh, right now I'm working on my PhD in intercultural studies and doing some research on multi-ethnic church plants. Um, and it was fascinating to go back and specifically look at the history of Toronto. Um, you know, stuff was locked down on Sundays, right? (laughs) It was locked down. Toronto was a boring city. It was, and that, Mm. that wasn't just Toronto. That was many places. And Mm. And it seems like we've gotten into this rhythm. And actually one of the Points I really appreciated when I first reached out to you to, to do this interview. We usually do it on Sunday nights, and you said, No, that's I've got a Sabbath from I think it's yeah. noonish or something like that to, to Monday. Yeah, um, I really appreciated you saying that um, mm. because, like, it's pretty hard to set boundaries anymore, isn't it? Because everything overlaps so much, we can take work home, and, and if we're not, <laughs> if we don't have it on our phone, we're thinking about it. Right. Like, yeah. And how how have you set um, blue lines, I guess, for uh, the Mm. I think it's Penn State coach uh, (laughs) line? (laughs) How have you set blue lines that just say, okay, hey, we're going to set some boundaries here, especially with kids Mm. and all that?
1: Yeah, Uh, I love Andy Crouch's book. I mean, the guy's brilliant. Uh, The TechWise family. Mm. And one thing he says is um, he says an hour a day, a day a week. A week, a year, to Sabbath from our devices, and for me, and also my my wife. I mean, for, for me, yes, I'm a pastor, but I'm also an author, and I speak and podcast and all that stuff. So social media is is so important, and it's 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 kind of the connection point. And and honestly, even for the way that I pastor and shepherd some in my obviously not everyone, but some in my congregation. I mean, the way that I'm connecting with my staff. And those in in the congregation, COVID or not, social media is a huge way to connect, and to shepherd and to know who my sheep are, right? Yeah, I mean that's such an important way because that's that's where they're living, right? So a quick message or a comment on their post, that's that's not trivial, <laughs> right? Yeah. That's actually part of the pastoral process because they're they're there. So for me, I could live 24-7 on and my wife and I, we do a podcast together and and we recently started this YouTube show. And and I mean God is just it's so incredible to see how God's using this parenting and marriage podcast that we have and ministering through that. So if we're not careful and if we don't set boundaries, we could literally be on our phones Mm -hmm. all day and have holy reasons <laughs> and very much justify why we need to do that one of my friends uh down in austin this is what he said uh at his church he he has this rhythm where no one preaches more than 25 times a year oh. um we don't necessarily follow that but but he I love I love what he's saying, and I'm trying to I'm still trying to wrestle through that aspect of what does that look like within a church. But for him, one of the reasons he says that um, is is this. He and his name is Kevin Peck, and it's uh, he's at the Austin Stone, one of the most brilliant pastors. He said it, this is this is why he said there is a when you're preaching, and you're in front of a crowd, there's a liturgy being spoken back to you about who you are. And when you are in front of a large crowd of people and everyone is silent and listening to everything you say, there is a liturgy being. I know church, there's liturgy in our church, but there's a liturgy being spoken into your soul as to Daniel, you are important. Daniel, you have something. Daniel. And there's all of this liturgy being spoken back to us. Well, Ezra, the same is with our phones. When we get on our phones and we get likes or we get follows or we get comments or we get uh, what anything like that happens, right? Downloads, any metric, right? Any when we see that endorphins surge in our body and the same place in our mind uh, that actually gamblers that that light up for gamblers and light up for drug addicts. That's the very same place that gets lit up when we see likes on our photos and comments. It's the exact same place. The, literally, it's the exact same place. So The thing that causes gambling addiction and drug addiction and porn addiction, it's the same area with yeah. social media addiction. And if we are not careful, we are going to sp- – there's so much spiraling that can happen. And because here's the flip side, right? When everything's going great, like, 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 oh, man, look at all the people who are following me. Oh, look, I'm so important. Look, and then you post and no one likes and no one comments. And it's like you get the flip. You get depressed. Yeah, it's terrible. Like, it's, terrible. <laughs> it's like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, because I mean, it's we've already, right? It's that same yeah. area. Yeah, yeah.
0: We've read those stories of you know teenage girls or whatever, and and they'll just freak out, right? Well, yeah. You know, forget teenage girls. Think about myself, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When, when I've we been post there, this, right? and not anyone yeah. says a word, I'm gonna be like, okay, well, what what did I do wrong here, <laughs> right? Like, like, yeah. It, it, it makes you question. I got to read a quote yeah. that you wrote here because we're. Um, I want to be respectful of your time. You write a life dictated by doing is not much of a life at all. And then you go on to say, uh, you are not what you do. Doing does not result in done. It only leads to more doing. In fact, there is a badge of honor in a life of doing, only exhaustion and despair. Um, Question, all right. What are some indicators you're doing uh, too much in your life and your life is dictated by doing?
1: Yeah, yeah. It's when you can't, practice the spiritual discipline of solitude and silence when you can't actually sit down or when you can't actually get in line at the grocery store and just observe and look and wait but rather you are constantly pulling out your phone even if even if it's like 20 seconds before you get to your line or 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 you can't wait right you're you're literally, where anytime there's free time, you're pulling out your phone or you're doing this or you're doing that. I think that's an indication that we are addicted to doing and we are addicted to busyness. Mm. And there's that sense where, yeah, well, we justify it because I'm trying to be productive, right? I, I got I got 30 seconds here and, you know, hashtag life hack and I'm going to get this email done or I'm going to get this done and I'm just going to be super productive and super effective. Well, the problem is I think that's I'm not saying that obvi- I'm not saying that anyone who does that is addicted to doing, but I think it's an indicator. I think it's an indicator. And if you are able to stop, that's great. But if you are unable to and your mind is just rushing and you feel you feel down when you aren't accomplishing and you feel up when you do, I think that's an indicator. Right. And it's a, it's kind of like a check engine light. Right. It's It's not the whole story. It's kind of like the check engine light goes off. And you're like, okay, how much of your self-worth and your identity are you placing in doing? Interesting. You know, I
0: was, I, that brings back to mind uh, John Ortberg. Uh, I forget which book, book it was he wrote. But he's going into a busy season of his life. And he talks to his mentor, Dallas Willard. And he says, hey, mm-hmm. going into a busy season, what do I do? And, and I never forget those words Dallas shared with him. He said, ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life.
1: Yes, yeah, soul, yeah. Keeping. soul yeah, keeping. Yeah, soul keeping yeah.
0: Uh, and, and, and that just hit me, like like ruthlessly mm. uh, eliminate hurry from your life. Um, you no, know, I got to go back because it feels like we're missing a, a part here if we don't go back to this. Right, you pastor a church now of um, three to four thousand. If that's if that's a rough rough estimate. Um, let's go back to uh, where we left off and where you were just returned to Vancouver. Mm. Um. At that point, um, could you have ever imagined doing what you do now? Um, So a two-part question, because I think a lot of people would look on and say, wow, you know, Daniel's like really successful in in the church world, Mm -hmm. right? Could you ever ever imagine doing what you do now? Um, But here's the second part to that. How do you view doing what you do now differently?
1: Yeah, so 10 years ago, I would have never imagined that 10 years later, I would have done all that I'd done and been able to experience all that I've experienced. Never would I have even imagined that. I mean, I had a, I had a life plan. Uh, it's funny until I was like 80 something, and I don't know why it ended at 80 something, but (laughs) (laughs) it kind of ended at 80 something. And I was like, okay, this is what my life is going to be like three years, five years. And I'm a very strategic guy. And I, yeah, literally, That's I I threw it all away my wife and I Christina and I threw it all away because it was like man we can't yeah we can plan we can think we can process but that's God is God's ways are higher than our ways his ways are better deeper than our ways and all of that so honestly when I came back from Korea 2010 I actually came to this church Beulah Beulah Alliance Church uh, in that time. And I started as a group's pastor and, and serving and, and, and just loved being loved, fell in love with Edmonton, uh, never thought we were going to be here long term. Uh, and actually, we were here for almost like it was like about, about four and a half years. And then we moved to Nashville. And that's where I was, where I was work, working at Lifeway. And, and a lot of stuff happened. And I and then about nine months ago, we moved back. So I'm not the senior pastor yet. Um, but we came back because I, for a process of succession. Mm-hmm. So we're in the middle of a process of succession, basically, uh, for me to lead the church into its hundredth year and beyond. So senior were, associate kind of, pastors, is that right? Yeah, senior yeah. Okay, I, I that word, sorry, yeah. yeah. No, that's okay. That's okay. So, um, so we came because of succession, and and to to begin leading this church into its hundredth year and beyond. So, honestly, I didn't like ten years ago. I, asked me two years ago (laughs) two years ago i wouldn't have thought that we would be here we loved our life in nashville we loved serving the church through lifeway and i was a teaching pastor at my church and and we just loved every single aspect about our life there uh yet god i mean so so christina and i our entire lives we've lived like this uh Mm -hmm. well since we've gotten married lord here we are lord here we are and just open-handed and God, we just got our green cards. And you know, was Canadian. I mean, how expensive and long and lengthy is a process of a process that is. We had just gotten our green cards. And I was like, this is it. I mean, seriously, I can't believe this has happened. We got our green cards. We can move wherever. We are now here. And then God just uproots and, and, and begins unsettling our hearts. And we have no idea why no idea why. And then, you know, it's a long story, but basically long story short, we end up moving back to Edmonton because of this. Hmm.
0: That's and your passion. Now is to reach, I think it's 1% of yeah. Edmonton for Christ. Um, yeah, I mean, as, as such a cool, uh, that sounds a little bit like, um, one of the guys, I know advanced Pittman, uh, down in yeah. Las Vegas. Yeah. I mean, um, and obviously a huge, huge passion for that. Um, Let's wrap things up here. Uh, Mm. Let's close out with this one. Kind of an interesting question. If you were to pick one person as a model for your book, who would you pick and and why is that the case?
1: Yeah. um, You know, in a sense, we write books or, or, you know, I wrote the book with a lot of different audiences in mind. and, And there's that sense where for me, as a husband, as a father, I, I didn't write it to pastors, um, but for me, just as a hu- husband and as a father, you know, there is that sense where I really did write it for me. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the book was very—it uh, it was profound for me first and foremost as I was trying to live it out and and bring about clarity from it all. But but honestly, beyond that, it was really to the 20 to 30 something year old mom or 20 to 40 year old mom who, kind of like my wife, who uh, has been raising kids and the kids are just kind of old enough that it it doesn't take as much time as it used to. And there's a sense of, what do I do with my life now? I thought my identity was in what I did, but then I had kids. And I didn't do what I did anymore. So now I have kids and, and my identity was in that. But then I thought it was in this. And there's a sense of a rediscovery of yourself. Right. There's that sense of, okay, there is that rediscovery. So there is a it really is uh, more than a person. It's anyone who is in that season of transition. Right. So if you've if you've just graduated or if you've lost your job or if you're in between, whatever that transition period, it really is, I, I really believe transitions are those God moments. God is saying, "Hey, I want to get your attention. I want to get your attention," uh, and you know, your identity is not in what you do. It's not in your past. It's not in what you experience. It's not in any of these seven lies, right? And and that's so. That's kind of in my mind. It's it's really, I, I guess to to put it differently, really more more along those lines. Who are in transition?
0: It's it's a really great book. I can't recommend it enough. Uh, pick it up on Amazon. I'm a Kindle guy, so that's where that's where I get it. And mm, uh, thanks. Just a quick update uh, for everyone listening and watching. Next week on our podcast, we're having Daniel Henderson, uh, the founder of Strategic Renewal, a fantastic uh, writer. He's written a new book called Glorious Finish. Really, really encouraging and really um, connects well with, I think, what Daniel shared uh, today and kind of talks about a lot of pastors, ministry leaders burning out and uh, what do we do about that? How do we make some changes? So he'll be on next week. Um, Daniel, man, thanks so much for coming on. Really, really appreciate it. Hey, yeah, thanks
1: for having me, Ezra.
0: Well, there you have it. And uh, look, I know I plug a lot of different books and articles and, and things like that on this podcast, and I want to bring you as good of information and, and things like that that I can. But if you are going through any sort of transition, your job is uh, maybe causing some uncertainty in your life, or just just you're going through a really difficult time, pick up Daniel's book. Uh, It's a fantastic read, really connected with me. I think you're going to love it, and uh, I really encourage you to pick that up. Anyways, next week, as I mentioned, my friend Daniel Henderson will be joining the podcast. He's going to be talking about his new book, uh, Glorious Finish. It's going to be a good show. I'm really, really looking forward to it. And Until next time, my name is Ezra Byer. Thanks so much for listening.
1: You've been listening to the Monday Christian Podcast, the program that helps you put into action the truth of God's word that you hear on Sunday to your everyday life on Monday. For more info on this program, simply visit our website, themondaychristian.com. That's themondaychristian.com.